Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful that you are present today. We're so thankful that we have a good number with us today for our worship. We're always glad to have visitors. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We want to encourage you, if you are looking for a church home, to please consider the work here. We have a lot to do in this community and we would love to have you come and help us expand the borders of God's kingdom in this area. It's a great joy to be a child of God and to be together on the first day of the week to worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, the passage that Jordan read just a moment ago. I want us to think for just a minute or two today about the theme, the church that fell out of love with Jesus. Think about that for a minute. We want to think about in our study today, the church that fell out of love with Jesus. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 in our study together. As we embark upon this study, I want to begin by saying it's somewhat incredible to me that these people that made up the body of Christ could have, for whatever reason, fallen out of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Collectively, we talk about the church that fell out of love with Jesus. But we understand that individually speaking, we're talking about saints, New Testament Christians, believers. Paul had written to the church at Ephesus in about A.D. 61 or 62 from prison. And now some 30 years later, John records for us an assessment by the Lord of the saints making up the church in Ephesus. And so as we consider together this congregation, it is a congregation that fell out of love with Jesus. Sometimes married couples, because of any number of problems in their marriage, will say, we just no longer love one another like we used to. How's that happen? How does it happen when members of the church no longer love the Lord as they once did? In our study today, we want to begin by noting the Lord's approval of the saints in Ephesus. Here we have his words of commendation. And there were some positive things that the Lord said about this church. And in many respects, when we begin to examine what is recorded in these verses, many of us would step back and say, you know, this was really a pretty good church. And so, think with me, if you would, for just a minute or two about his words of approval, his words of commendation. The Lord begins by assessing their deeds. Here's what John wrote, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, 
These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. We have to understand that Jesus sees all and knows all. The Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good in Proverbs 15. In chapter 2, verse 23 of this same book, the Lord would say he is the one who searches the reins and hearts. The Hebrew writer would tell us that nothing is hidden from the all-seeing eyes of Almighty God. All things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so, yes, Jesus sees all, and he knows all. So what about the good things that were going on in Ephesus? Number one, he praised them for their productivity in the faith. In verse 2, Jesus said, I know your works, your labor. Drop down and note with me for just a moment in verse 3, where he says that they have labored for his name's sake and have not become weary. This was, by all accounts, a working church. Paul had said in writing to the church at Ephesus that they had been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul would say to the church at Corinth to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. And then to Titus, he would say in chapter 2, verse 14 of his book, that God's people are to be zealous for good works. And so here were some people that made up the body of Christ that were busy. They were laboring. They were involved. There's a second thing that draws praise from the Lord. That had to do with their perseverance in the faith. He said, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. The term there could be translated perseverance or endurance. In verse 3, I mentioned just a moment ago, Jesus said, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Sometimes trials and tribulations, the things of life will weary us. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 9 that we are not to grow weary in doing good. Here were people that were trying to stay the course. They had an enduring spirit. They weren't willing to give up and just throw up their hands and throw in the towel. James talks about in chapter 1 of his book how we are to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. In verse 12 he would say, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he's been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So here is a congregation of God's people. They are productive and they are persevering. In many respects, a good church, a 
church that's on the move. There's a third thing that I believe brought praise from the lips of Jesus. And that is they were protective of the faith. They believed in what we would call the doctrine of Christ. The truth of Almighty God. Here's what Jesus said, beginning in verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Obviously, they detested that which was wrong and evil, ungodly. Paul would tell them in Ephesians 5, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's exactly what they did. They followed the counsel of an inspired apostle. He said, you have tested or tried those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Paul in his writings to the church at Corinth would talk about the signs of an apostle. John would write in 1 John chapter 4 at verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, every teacher, but rather try, test the spirits, the teachers, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In verse 6, Jesus said, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They did not hate those who propagated this doctrine but they did detest the doctrine itself because they believed that it was anti-truth. It was not harmonious to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jude had said many centuries ago to saints of all ages to contend earnestly for the faith. So when I look at this church, I see people that were contending for the faith of Almighty God. They believed the truth. And they sought to the best of their ability to uphold the truth. There is a second thing I want us to see in our study today. We talk about the Lord's approval of the saints in Ephesus. But what about the Lord's accusation against the saints in Ephesus? Here we have his words of condemnation. The Lord assessed the devotion or lack thereof of these people that made up the church in this city. Listen, if you would, to what he says in verse 4. In light of all of the positive that has been enumerated by Jesus, there's some negative. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Here were some people, and, and maybe it's the case that when we think about a congregation, it doesn't seem so bad. But you need to understand that people make up the church, a local congregation. And so Jesus is singling out saints. And he's saying, look, you have left your first love. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus had said 
You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second like unto it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. John, in his writings, talked about the love of God and the love that we are to have for one another. John said we love him because he first loved us. So what about that missing ingredient in their relationship? What was it that somehow came between them and the Lord Jesus Christ? There are a couple of things that I want maybe to think about with you for just a moment or two. First of all, there was what I would call formality without fervor. We can, for whatever reason, go through the motions or go through the mechanics of service and worship to Almighty God. Happens all the time. Sometimes bodily we're present. But in spirit, we're not there, are we? We're just going through the motions. The Bible has a lot to say about the fervor that we are to have for the Lord. I mean, when you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 22, that we are to love him with all of our, with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then I think about what Jesus said in John chapter 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. My worship involves the right attitude. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had the privilege of seeing the Lord sitting upon his throne, and he said he was high and lifted up, and his train or robe filled the temple. Those angelic beings cried out, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah would comment on this great vision. He said, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we come together in worship, we are in the presence of Almighty God. We are here to worship God in spirit and in truth. When we engage in corporate worship, we are reflecting upon what God through Jesus has done for us. And yet sometimes it's just routine. We're just going through the motions. Malachi, the last of the writing prophets in the Old Testament era or in our Old Testament, talked about a problem that existed among the children of Israel some four centuries before Jesus came to earth. The problem, they were giving God the lame and the sick for sacrifices. And so Malachi said, look, offer that to your governor and see if he'll be pleased with you. The problem, they were not giving God their absolute best. And God had a problem with that. Is it the case 
Sometimes we come together on the first day of the week and we don't give God our very best. And by that I mean we're not locked in to what's going on in our worship. We're not mindful of the fact that we are in the very presence of Almighty God. And then I think about the people that Jesus was talking about in Ephesus. Could it have been the case that they were coming together for worship on the first day of the week and just going through the motions? We just come, we pay our dues, and we leave. There is a second thing I want you to see, and that is they had action without affection. You can be a hard worker in the kingdom of God. You can visit the sick. You can prepare food. You can send cards of encouragement. You can do a lot of things. But if, if your service is not backed up by love, then as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it profits you nothing. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. He would go on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. If we're just going through the motions in our service to God, what Paul is saying is, it's meaningless. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer talks about, in a very descriptive way, those who were ministering in the name of Jesus, and it was, as he said, a labor of love. We do it not because we feel compelled to do it, we do it because we want to do it. We love the Lord. As John said, we love him because he first loved us. So, the missing ingredients in their relationship. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study together. And that is the miscues or the missteps that impeded their relationship. There is what I would call cause and effect. For every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And so the question that I want to ask myself when I read this passage is, what, what happened? How did people that made up the body of Christ in this city, in this congregation, how did they go from being on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, fervent for his cause, laboring because it was a labor of love, to the point where Jesus said, look, you have left your first love. I mean, you people have fallen out of love. You don't love me like you used to. There are some reasons why I believe we fall out of love with Jesus. We're not reinventing the wheel here. There are some concrete reasons why we sometimes are not what we ought to be. We're not where we should be, spiritually speaking. Number one, there is a lack of study in God's Word. 
relationships are a two-way street. And so when you think about their lack of studying God's word, add to that a lack of daily prayer. How do I communicate with God? By prayer. How does God communicate with me through his word? If I don't spend time in the word of God on a regular basis, what's going to happen to my relationship with the Lord? Am I going to grow closer to the Lord or am I going to become more distant in my relationship to the Lord? Surely we can see. If we don't spend time with the Lord, we are, go we are going to become more distant and cold in our relationship to the Lord. Think about, think about a married couple. Sometimes we, we say absence makes the heart grow fonder. I don't believe that. I don't buy it. If you spend enough time away from your mate, you know what's going to happen? That relationship is going to begin to deteriorate. You're not going to have the same feelings that you once did. That's why couples have to spend time together. They have to nurture that relationship. The more time that we spend with one another and the more we communicate with one another, the deeper the love. I'm not saying that it's a perfect relationship. I'm not saying that couples have found panacea in the sense that there are no problems. But I am saying that that relationship is being nurtured by two people that genuinely love one another and are trying to grow, grow closer together. Well, if we don't nurture our relationship to God, what's going to happen? We're, we're going to become cold and distant, aren't we? Sometimes we have the Bible in our head. The problem isn't that we don't know the truth. We know the truth. The problem is it hasn't gotten from our head to our heart. Jesus said you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Look, these people, they could debate the truth with anybody. They knew the truth. They were working. They would stand for the truth of Almighty God. The problem wasn't that they didn't know the truth. The problem was the truth was not in their heart. The psalmist in Psalm 1 talks about having a meditating spirit on the law of Jehovah. And he said he meditated on that law day and night. You can read and study God's word until Jesus comes. But until you take that word and deposit it into your heart, there's going to be something missing. The psalmist said, your word have I laid up in my heart. So taking the word of God and internalizing it. I want to ask you this question. How often do you read the Bible? You read it every day? How often do you pray to God? Do you pray every day? Did Paul not say study to show yourselves approved unto God? Did he not say to pray without ceasing? So if you're not praying and you're not studying, what's happening to your relationship with the Lord? I want to ask you another question. What about your worship? I mean, we come together on the first day of the week. Do we come back Sunday night? Do we come back Wednesday night? I want to ask you another question. 
I, I remember back when, when Nancy and I were dating. She's out of town this weekend, so I can say this. <clears throat> when, when we dated, we wanted to be together. What if, what if we were dating and I said, you know, we, we were together this morning. I mean, why do we need to be together tonight? Or I, I really don't want to go out tomorrow night or Friday night or Saturday night. What if I kept putting her off? What if I never called her? How far do you think that relationship would have grown, would have gone? I wanted to be with her because I loved her. I understand that we're commanded to come together on the first day of the week. I understand that. But we ought to want to come, not because we feel like we're compelled to come, but because we love the Lord. We want to be with his people, and we want to be in his presence. When it comes to Sunday night, we come back because we want to come back. Or we don't come back because, here's the hard truth, we don't want to come back. Let's just be honest about it. We don't come back because we don't want to come back. We don't come Wednesday night because we don't want to come Wednesday night. It, it's not that we can't. It's that we don't want to. And maybe the reason is because we have fallen out of love with Jesus. We say we love him. And we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But we don't reflect it in the way we live. So, what about our study? Spending time in his word. Praying. These are things that impact our relationship. Any good relationship requires time and effort. It's true in marriage. It's true in friendship. And it is true in our relationship to Almighty God. You have to work at it every day. So, think with me thirdly about his words of admonition, his words of counsel. Jesus admonished the saints at Ephesus. And really what he did is he told them how to get back on track. There was, there was a prescription given to the disciples. Listen to what he says. There are three things I want to call attention to very quickly. Number one, he said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. You remember how high you were the day you became a Christian? Do you remember when you confessed before 
a group of people your belief in Jesus as the Son of God? Do you remember when you were planted in that watery grave of baptism and you rose to walk, as Paul would say, in newness of life? You remember how great that felt? To know that every sin was washed away, that you were a part of the body of Christ, that you were now a New Testament Christian. You remember that? When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he outlined what God had done for them. He said, in whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. They had been forgiven. In verse 13, he said, in whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. They had obeyed the gospel. They had been added to the one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4. They were New Testament Christians. And yet somehow, something had come between them and the Lord. And so Jesus said, number one, you need to remember. Number two, repent. Listen to him in verse 5. Remember. Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Let's just pause there for a minute. That means genuine, heartfelt repentance. Acknowledging that our love hasn't been what it ought to be and that we are going to make a change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse 10, Paul talks about godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's what we're talking about. People that say, look, I haven't been what I ought to be. I know it. And I want to come back and rekindle that love. And then thirdly, repeat. He said, and do the first works. That is, go back to the basics. When you became a Christian, why'd you become a Christian? Well, number one, because you realized you were a sinner. And number two, you realized that God loved you enough to send his son to die for your sins. You needed to be saved. You wanted to be, you wanted to be baptized into Christ so that every sin could be washed away and you could be a part of his family so that you one day would live with Almighty God in heaven again. So once you became a Christian, what'd you do? You got busy, didn't you? You got to work. And why'd you work? Because you love the Lord. You studied his word. And why'd you do that? Because you love the Lord. You prayed every day. Why? Because you were grateful to Almighty God for what he had done. As Paul said in the long ago, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. And then you worshiped him. And why'd you do that? Because you love him. Because you loved him. That's the first works. Just going back and getting that fire rekindled. I'm not a marriage counselor, but I've tried to help couples that have had problems in days gone by. And in my feeble efforts to help people, it's my conviction that couples that somehow drift apart can rekindle that relationship and they can, they can again 
enjoy a rock-solid marriage. Those fires can be reignited, but it takes effort. It takes a commitment on the part of two. If that's where you are spiritually, I want you to know, I want you to leave here today knowing that you can rekindle those fire, those flames. That fire can be reignited. The Lord loves you, that's without question. What is in question is do you love the Lord? What is in question is have you fallen out of love with the Lord? If that's your case, could I encourage you to come back? You ever seen couples that have had problems and maybe, maybe, maybe over the course of time that relationship has been impaired and fractured and you got one person over here and another person over here and somehow they see the light and make the commitment. They're going to work it out and they're going to get back together. Or maybe one of the marriage partners is at fault. And that innocent party says, you know what? I'll take you back. I want you back. You ever seen somebody stand with their arms wide open? I mean, literally, their arms are wide open. And they're waiting for that person to come so they can embrace them, take them back. That's where the Lord is today. His arms are wide open. And he's saying, I'll take you back. I want you back. But you've got to make that choice. Will you come home? If you're not a Christian, begin that journey today. Do what they did 2,000 years ago. Repent of your sins. Be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away. Acts 2.38. God will then add you to his church. Acts 2.47. You'll be forgiven. And the promise is if you live faithfully, God will crown you. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. If you have fallen out of love with Jesus, today's the day. Come home. Come back, come back to a loving Lord who will never disappoint and who will stand by you thick or thin, come what may. He'll go with you every step of the way. Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing? <laughs>